You know, it has been so humbling this week to receive texts from so many of you and emails talking about how helpful the message was last week of how to reorient our life, our mind, to God's promises during times of fear. We're going to continue that today. But I've got to tell you, it has just been so, um, so thrilling that we're having the opportunity, even with our building closed, to be able to speak directly to you, whether it's on the phone, on your iPad, or in your home, to break God's promise to you because we're living in an unprecedented time. All right, we're going to look back and say this was a time in history that goes into history books. And this is a time more than ever that we all need to know what does God have to say and what do I do and how do I spiritually connect with God in the middle of all this chaos. So again, I just want to say thank you for those of you who sent uh, nice notes and have taken our messages and passed those on through the app or through email to other people. And I hope this will be another message that can be very helpful for you as you're wrestling with all of these challenges. We're going to continue to offer on-demand services. On-demand means the minute we put that up, you can watch it at any time. So we had some issues with our website. It was so overflowed flooded with people last week. We're working on fixing those things. So those should be fixed by this weekend when you see this. But also know that on-demand services mean you don't have to log on at 4.30 on Saturday or 8.50 on Sunday or 10 or 11.10. They're on-demand so you can access them at any time through the app. You can download Horizon CC. Put a space in there though. Horizon Space CC uh, in your Apple Store or in the Google uh, Store as well. And you can watch them on the app very, very easily. And again, they're on demand, so you can actually watch those at any time during the week, uh, during the weekend, whatever works best for you or your family. But again, on behalf of Horizon, we are so humbled that we have the opportunity to speak directly to you, to pray with you, and to help you during this time. So before we jump in the message today, I thought I'd begin with the Lord's Prayer. In case you're not sure where that is and you want to be reading that uh, on your own, it's in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 6. It's how Jesus taught us to pray anytime, but especially during times like this. So can I just pray the Lord's Prayer with you right now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, many of us are struggling with what it means to have daily bread. Will you give us our daily bread? Give us just enough grace, just enough courage, just enough strength for what we need for another day, for another week. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Help us to remember how much you've forgiven us for and to extend that forgiveness to those who've hurt us as we're living closer together, as we're spending more time with each other, as we're all under stress, Father, it needs a a double dose of that forgiveness and grace during this time for every family, for every marriage, for every company. Do not lead us into temptation, Father, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's talk about what happens when fear begins to take over in your life. Have you ever felt like fear or panic? Or right now it's like disappointment, it's panic, it's uncertainty. Have you ever felt like that was stealing territory from you? Stealing your peace? Stealing your sleep? Stealing everything that felt like it was secure? Like that's where we're all at right now. 
Right now we're going to look at a passage in 1 Samuel on how territory was stolen from them by the Philistines. And they were terrified and they were fearful. And what's metaphorical for us was physical for them. An actual group of people called the Philistines stealing their territory, stealing their plants, taking from their vineyards. But I want to talk about how fear takes our territory from us. And I hope what you're going to find is that this message is very, very practical to us today. Because right now there are a lot of facts that you and I don't like. And quite frankly, as the tests go online for the coronavirus, there's going to be more and more facts we don't like, right? Because the very nature of having a test means there's a lot more people that currently have it than we know about. So the numbers are probably going to go up exponentially, and those facts are going to be hard to deal with. But what we need to do is not let fear magnify those already challenging facts into bigger fears. This is what psychologists call catastrophizing or magnifying. This is when we take already bad facts, difficult facts, and we magnify them, and every fact becomes a fear. And now we're dealing with the already challenging circumstance we have, stealing our joy, stealing our sleep. We're already trying to figure out how to be flexible to having the kids out of school, right? And now everything's magnified because all we're getting is catastrophized version of already challenging facts. So I want to give you three Ps. Three ways that fear begins to take territory from us that you can right now, today, in this moment, come against the ways in which these three Ps steal your territory. The first one is taking things personal. So personalizing. Personalizing, we feel like it's not just this is a bad thing going on in a bad world. No, this is the world coming after me. I'm taking it personal. When you take problems personally, it brings even more emotional energy to it. Because now, it's not just bad facts, but now the world's out to get me, God's after me, it's personal. So don't let fear personalize and take away your joy, your sleep, your peace. Number two, typically, when your mind's not under stress, things seem temporary. Hey, this is bad, I don't like the facts, but it's not going to last forever. Things are temporary. I can erase them, I can change them. But under stress and under uncertainty, with the level of change coming our way every two days, it seems like, if not every hour, everything seems permanent. Are we ever going to get our retirement back? Are we ever going to get the kids back in school? Are things ever going to return to normal? When things begin to feel permanent, they're not going to change. These aren't going to get back to normal. This is never going to be better it brings an incredible amount of anxiety and fear steals territory from you because now it's personal and it feels permanent. So come against the permanence that says that what's going on is stealing your joy. Thirdly, pervasive. That's when everything feels like it's not just the stock market, it's not just the school, it's everything has been destroyed. Everything's pervasive. What's particularly challenging right now is we literally feels like the house is on fire. There's so many different things we're managing at the same time. However, there are good spots. There are things to be thankful for right now in your life in this circumstance. And so don't let all of the bad things, as big as they are, as magnified as they are, take away from the truth that there are spots in your life that have not been pervasively influenced by negativity, and by bad news. Look for ways to be thankful for what God is doing in the midst of it. And that's where we are today in 1 Samuel. What has happened is that Samuel is a prophet. And as a prophet in the nation of Israel, here's the uh, 
Sea of Galilee here, Jordan River and the Dead Sea. He's been speaking to people and helping guide people through a very, very difficult time where the Philistines have come and taken away their territory. Now they have moved the ark. It used to be in Shiloh. The Philistines stole it. And that was like God's presence been taken away. And they felt like God had abandoned them during that time. But God has brought the ark back to them through a whole series of supernatural means. The Philistines said, get that ark out of here. We don't want it. The ark has come back to the people. And they have been terrified by having the ark back. And they've just pushed it away and said to a group of people in this little town called Jareth Jerem, you take care of the ark. You make a place for it. We don't know how to incorporate God's presence into our lives in these circumstances. All right, so that's where we're at in the passage today as we jump in. And I want to show you our key verse. Because our key verse today, I think, is something that we all need and is very, very apropos to what we're ch- the challenges we're facing right now. It says, Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel. So fill in coronavirus. The areas of my life, my sleep, my peace, my joy, have been taken by the coronavirus they were restored. Now, if you'd ask the people in Israel, they'd say there's no way we're ever getting those cities back. There's no way we're ever getting back to normal. But God said those cities were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Now, that's our key verse. Can you imagine? The Philistines thought, we've got these things for sure. We've taken them permanently. And the Israelites would have agreed. But God is saying, I'm going to do a work as you make a place in your heart for me in these circumstances to both restore and recover what has happened in your life. Now, as we look to do that, I want to give you three weird words because this passage has three really weird words. But I promise you, they're going to be very, very practical. The first one is a Benadab. What does that mean? Then a Baal and then an Ebenezer. Each one of these steps is important as the people walk through these steps in these locations to understand how God is going to restore and recover the land they have. As we look at those together, I remember when I first moved to Cincinnati. When I first moved to Cincinnati, uh, I found out that I had allergies and so I had an allergy to mold. So I went to the doctor and he immediately you know, pricked my back with all kinds of different things. I'm like, ow, oh, ah. And then we waited a little bit, and all of a sudden, he had this check mark in my back. He began to circle things. You're allergic to mold and mold and mold and mold and mold. Which I thought, great, well, then I need to eliminate all the mold from my life. He said, well, no, actually, we're going to take the molds you're allergic to, we're going to stick them in a needle, and we're going to inject you with them. Like, I'm allergic to it. Why would I want more of that? I was trying to eliminate fear. He was trying to inoculate me with increased doses of that mold. In the same way, many of us are praying, God, just eliminate the fear, eliminate the circumstances. And God is saying, no, there's increased doses of fear and uncertainty coming our way, and I'm trying to inoculate you to your circumstances. So regardless of being around things that are out of control and uncertain, you will know my peace he will know that I am with you. That's what God's doing here. As I've thought about God's work in my life for the last couple years, God has been inoculating me to really wrestle with and really deal with fear. 
So I'm feeling a supernatural sense of peace in my life in the middle of this uncertainty because God has been working on this very issue in my life in the last couple of years. And I hope what I share with you today will help you not to eliminate fear, things we can't control, but to be inoculated from fear because we begin to see where God's at work. All right, let's start with our first weird word. The first one is Abinadab. So what's an Abinadab? Well, again, remember, the Ark of the Covenant has come in and they are pushing God's presence away. That's what's happening in Beth Shemesh. So the people in Beth Shemesh who just got the Ark back turn to another group of people, the men of Kerjath-Jerim. They came and took the Ark of the Lord. You guys take it because we don't have a place for it. And they brought it into the house of Abinadab. So Abinadab is a man who makes a home for the Ark when it's being pushed away. Now it's up on a hill and it's consecrated a man named Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in uh, Kareth Jerem a long time. It was there 20 years. Now that's at the time Samuel writes this. It actually remains there many, 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 many more years up until the time of David's reign, which is probably going to be more like 30 or 40 years. So the people don't have a place for God's presence in the middle of their chaos. So they ask another group of people at Kareth Jerem to take it and they make a place for it in a guy's house named Abinadab. And the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Why are the people lamenting? They're lamenting because they used to go to Shiloh. It was in Shiloh they could worship where the presence was. Now it's been moved to a totally different location and here at this totally different location, they're lamenting. It's hard to get there. It's not how things used to be. There's just a lot of lamenting going on as they're struggling with the change. All right, now what does Abinadab do? Well, this phrase, Jareth, uh, Jerjath Jerem, literally means the city of woods. And it's going to be referenced by David several years later. Look what David says in Psalms 132 Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Isn't that maybe your prayer and my prayer right now? God, just remember the afflictions. Remember what's going on to us right now. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. In other words, he said, my top priority of everything else going on, it's not sleep, it's not work, my top priority right now is to find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard it in Ephrath. We found it, God's presence, in the fields of the woods. See that phrase? They found God's presence in the field of the woods. That's the very passage we're talking about. That's Kareth Jerem. So he says, I want to build a place to worship God. So I went and found where God's presence was and I want to find a place for it in my life right here and right now. What if you, in the middle of the woods you find yourself in, say, God, I want to make a place for you right here and right now in my current circumstances. What if finding a place for God was your and my absolute top priority right here and right now? Because when Abinadab makes a place for God, it stays there for 20 years at the time of Samuel's writing. What's also interesting is remember Samuel is, is 
helping people out at the same time that Samson's helping people out from the book of Judges. So remember that phrase 20 years because it's important. The ark is going to remain here because someone made a, a, a space for the Lord, a place for the Lord. It remains there for 20 years and all kinds of generations get to see what happens when you make a place for God. Now remember that 20 years, right? 20 years. Let's jump to the book of Judges. Then Samson who just had this mighty battle. He's been doing a lot of things wrong. Samson became very thirsty after this incredible battle with the, the jawbone of the, of the donkey. Remember that? So he cried out, Samson did, mighty Samson, to the Lord. He says, you've given this great deliverance to me by the hand of your servant. Now am I going to die of thirst? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Samson, at the same time Abinadab is making a place for the Lord, Samson, living the same time, has this mighty victory and is exhausted, saying, God, am I going to die here? And God supernaturally gives him water to drink. And he drinks of this water, and it revives him, and it restores him. The same thing that's going to happen to those cities I told you about the Philistines took in just a moment. And look, Samson then has a 20-year reign. He judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. 20 years. Same amount of time. There's a peace that comes to all the people living in Israel. This might be a season for you and I to make a place for God. For the sake of our family, they're seeing how we lead. For the sake of our employees, they're seeing how we lead. Are you and I making a place for the Lord right here in these circumstances. Abinadab, if you go to it today, there's actually a church sitting there. And notice it's on top of the hill. Archaeologists have actually dug down and found some of the remains of the area where the ark was going to sit for 20 years, blessing all the people around them. Remember Jesus said that his disciples were to be a city on a hill? It's during these challenging circumstances when we make a place for the Lord, we just raise that up. We become salt and light and it begins to speak to all the people around us during this time. Now during that, I want to note that many of you have written to me, texted me, and sent emails to me to share how the services this week and last week have been helping you. And so first of all, I want to say thank you for that. And it's just so humbling to know that what we're doing is helping you. The second thing I want to show you kind of how it works in case you want to utilize our app um, in your own life as well. So I want to show you how to use our app because many of you have been already forwarding our messages and using this during this time. In fact, one of the ways you can do it, if you pull up our app, again, you can download that at Horizon Space CC and you pull it up, it's up here on the screen. If you click on current messages, you'll see there's the message from last week, relying on God's promises in the midst of fear and worry. If you click on the little video button, you'll watch the video service from last week. The little play button will show the audio from last week. There's a download button. Then there's a little arrow. That arrow you can press on and you can forward this to your friends and family. So again, if that is helpful to you, I had probably five people call me this week or text me. One person said that message was so helpful, I got on the app and I forwarded it to 500 of my friends. And then I started getting texts back from all the different messages they got. So you press on the little arrow button and you can immediately email it or you can text it. Another thing that might be helpful is many of you have said that as you've been using the app, you've gone back into our archive. So if you click on past messages here, you'll see that all of our past messages come up. 
And let's say fear is the main thing you're worried about and it's really affecting you. If you press in the top right corner, the little search bar, and you click keyword, you can search by keyword. Maybe just having everyone together, it's like our marriage has never been in this close proximity. I want to look up some marriage messages or I want to look up some parenting messages. For the sake of this, I'm going to type in the word fear. I hit return and you will see that it pulls up the message from last week but all kinds of other messages that we've done on fear. What are some Bible teaching, some promises God has on fear? Each one of these then, you'll see, has a play button if it's on MP3, a video button if it's on video, then you'll see a download button, and again a forward button where you can forward it, and you can send that on to your friends. You can copy it, you can send it through text or through email. So I hope that this will be one of those tools you can use during this time. Lastly, if you go back to our homepage here, in the top left corner, there's three bars. If you press on the three bars, you'll notice a, a menu comes down. At the bottom left is a Bible apps and tools. So there is a place that you can actually download commentaries, Bible studies, and things like that to help you. What's a promise God has for me during this time? There's also areas you can click on there on how to give financially to the church as well as how to serve. But I hope this will be a resource for you to help you uh, during this time. Because again, I'm just hearing so many encouraging things from people saying, we can't be at church physically, but you're really being there for us and Horizon is being there for us during this time we're going through challenge. We want this app and these services to be a way that you can make a place for God during this challenging time. Abinadab, how do we make a place for God? I just talked to a business leader today. He called me this morning and he said, Chad, I am feeling such supernatural peace and it's supernatural because it is chaos. All the things we're trying to figure out, stocks and stockholders and, and uh, containment related to our, keeping our, our family safe, we are really having to lean into God in a way that we never have before. And even though my circumstances are causing so much pain and chaos, I'm sensing that God is with me in the middle of it, giving me peace. So Benedeb, are you making a place for God? Then we'll move to our second weird word. Well, let's look at a second weird word together. And this is the word Baal. What is a Baal? Something very significant happens here. Samuel is going to tell the people that he wants them to put away their Baals. Now, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord during this time with all your heart, that's what God wants more than anything. He wants you and I to return with our whole heart to him. How do we do that? We have to put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord. See how God wants your heart? Serve him only and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the ashtoreths and serve the Lord only. What is a Baal and what is an ashtoreth and how would I put it away? Well, what he's saying here is that what God wants for you and I is to take anything in our life that we have made more important than God and put it into subordinate position. I mean, it could be up until last week, money was the most important thing in my life. And my goodness, I thought it was secure and it is not. I thought my freedom was the most important thing in my life. And wow, I am restricted in a way I've never been restricted. Any good thing that you make into an ultimate thing is a bail. 
In fact, the history of Baal is that Baal had a battle in the myth of Baal where he came kind of face to face with Yom. And they were fighting over the chaos of the universe. And Baal beat back Yom. And because of that, Baal was known as the one who could bring calm to uncertainty. He could conquer chaos. Are you feeling a lot of chaos? Because I am. And so the Israelites knew about God, but they're like, well, I don't know what God can do, but I tell you, Baal's known for taking care of chaos. Where do you go in your life to deal with chaos? Is it money? Is it your reputation? Is it your freedom? Is it I feel like a good mom or good dad, but now the kids are all running all over the place and we're crammed together and everybody's crabby and everybody's stressed. All of a sudden, I don't feel as good of a mom as I used to be or as good of a dad I used to be. Putting away your bales means anything we use to find peace to control the chaos besides God, we need to ask God for forgiveness for. God, I am sorry that I thought that something besides you could bring me peace and bring me security. Father, forgive me for anchoring my identity in something that's not you. That's what it means to put away your bail and your ashtoreth, which is what he's saying here. Now this is what a bale looked like. Depending on which culture and which time you're in, here's one example of a bale. And again, it was a symbol of something they used to control chaos. Do you know what your bale is? It's probably the thing that's got you so fearful and overwhelmed right now because it's been taken or removed or diminished in your life. Now an ashtoreth looks like this. It was an altar that was brought up to a high place to say, uh, we, we, we like the God of the Bible, but what we're really depending on in this circumstance is our Ashtoreth. And Samuel says, it's time to put those away. Confess to God that we've depended on other things besides him and ask God to be the number one thing in our life. Abinadab, make a place for God. Baal, by turning away from whatever else we put in front of God. So Samuel gathers the people here for the speech. He says, guys, gather everyone to Mizpah. Let's find a place to gather and clump together. And I'm going to pray to the Lord for you. And maybe you feel clumped together in a Mizpah in your house and you're teleconferencing in for work and you just feel like, wow, I've never been in close proximity. You're in a Mizpah. And here at Mizpah, it's time to pray to God. It's time to turn away from whatever bales you put in front of God. So they gathered together at Mizpah. They drew water. Notice that? Think of the water of Samson. They drew water. They poured it out before the Lord. Now this is a drink offering. You would take water and say, God, this is for you. You are poured out on our behalf. We We are giving you our best because you've given us your best. And they fasted that day and said there, here's what they said. Here's what it means to put away your bail. We have sinned against the Lord. We thought we knew better than you. We thought we didn't have to follow your commandments. We put other things in your place. We've sinned. We've missed the mark. And Samuel judged the people. And judge means he gave them direction. He gave them leadership. He gave them guidance. Samson judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. So this is just like horrible news. They're gathering together, praying, God, help us. Forgive us. God, we're sorry if we made other things more important to you. It's a worship service. In the middle of their worship service, the Philistines hear them worshiping, and the Philistines come and think they're about to go to battle. 
And now they're like, oh my goodness, God, you're adding more fear. We're actually asking you for forgiveness. We're putting away our bales. And now the Philistines are coming to get us. Circumstances are getting worse. And look what happens next. They're gathered here at Mizpah. They're worshiping, praying, seeking God. The same thing you and I need to do at Horizon, personally and corporately right now. God, forgive us for putting other things in front of you. God, we want to give you our whole heart. And you might find the next couple weeks, circumstances get worse before they get better. Look what happens next. So the children of Israel, when their circumstances got worse while they were worshiping, they said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. That's great advice. Put away your bail and do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us during this time. You know, it's interesting to see how many neighbors have actually been out walking. I went out last night and I was getting the mail. As I was making my way back, I saw a neighbor I haven't seen in a long time. He said, Chad, how's it going? So that's going pretty well. We kept our social distance. He said, how are you handling all this and how are you processing all this? I said, I think this is going to be a very unique time where all of us begin to seek God in a new way because everything else has become uncertain. He said, man, that is exactly right. That's exactly how I'm feeling. Now, it starts to rain, but he just wants to keep talking. So he's at the edge of my driveway, and I'm about to go to my front door, and it starts to rain. But we're engaged in this incredible conversation. He says, Chad, you know, I think that's exactly what God's going to do because that's what he did in my life. He said, I remember back when I was going through a challenging time in my marriage. I thought I was going to lose my, my child because of the, 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 the divorce and the circumstances. Everything in my life was falling apart. It was like for the first time in my life, I decided I ought to reach out for God because I had nothing out to reach out to. No, nothing else I could reach out for. As we began to talk, he got kind of tearful as he's sharing the story with me. He said, I'm hoping other people will have the same experience I had through this difficult time. I wouldn't wish this difficult time that I had many years ago on anyone, but God had to use that in my life so I would turn away, he didn't use the word bales, but turn away from the things that were more important to him than God because that's when I became a follower of Jesus. It might be what God wants to do in your life during this time. Abinadab, make a home for him in your heart by turning away from whatever else was living in that home. I don't know what that is. Is it reputation? Is it money? Is it comfort? What are those things, good things, that we've turned into bales? I heard an incredible story about a a college professor, a college coach, rather. Uh, His name was Brubaker. He had just taken over this rather losing team in college, and they were really, really excited about recruiting somebody good. And they came across this kid who really wanted to come to their college. His name was Stephen. And he was a top-notch, first-round kind of recruitment uh, lacrosse player. So he had this conversation with Stephen. Could you come on the team? Yeah, I really want to come there. I'm really going to sign. Well, you haven't signed yet. I will, but not yet. All through the fall, he didn't sign. All through the winter, he didn't sign. And the coach is getting very, very nervous Finally, at the end of the season, Stephen comes and signs for his team. He says, can I ask you something? Like, 
why, if you planned on signing with my team the whole time, why did you wait so long? And what he said is so amazing because it shows you a young kid who didn't have a bale of reputation or fame or even security. Instead, it was on serving others. Let me read to you exactly what he said. When the coach asked him, why in the world did you not sign sooner? Here's what he said. When asked why, he said, coach, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of, my, a lot of the colleges come to see me play each week. And most of my teammates weren't getting scholarship offers or even being recruited earlier this year, but they are now. By me not committing anywhere, all the college coaches who keep coming to see me play got a chance to discover how good some of my teammates really are. If I'd signed earlier with you, all the other coaches would have stopped coming to the games and none of my teammates would have been recruited. Now how cool is that? There's somebody who said serving other people is more important than even my own comfort, my own fame, or my own security. That's putting away a bail. All right, but I told you there were three words, right? The word is Abinadab, the word is Baal. Let's look at the third word, and the third word is an Ebenezer. Now, what is an Ebenezer? Well, again, pretty fascinating here. What happens in Ebenezer? Remember, the people are worshiping God. Philistines are coming in. Things are getting worse. In the middle of that, what Samuel does, he sets up an Ebenezer. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. So again, if we're going to get right with God, as we're facing our fear, a lamb needs to be sacrificed. Just like Passover many years ago, just like Jesus calls himself the Passover lamb. If you want to make a place for God and turn from your bales, you're going to need to invite the ultimate lamb to be your burnt offering or sacrifice to God. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. This, like God, we're doing the right stuff. Why are things getting worse? Remember what he said? Don't cease calling out from the Lord. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. God wanted to show up strong. God wants when we worship, when we depend on him to show that he can overcome the challenges in our life. If we'll depend on him, if we'll pray to him, if we'll reach out to him. God can thunder with a loud thunder upon the Philistines. Just like God delivered the Philistines when they took the ark, he's now delivering the Philistines when the people did what? They got right with God. They put away the Baal. And here in Ebenezer was a place that said, God, we're just gonna worship and depend on you during this time. And the men of Israel watching God provide the victory, God thunders and the people are confused and they're scared and they're running off. It's then that the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, where they've been gathered together, pursued the Philistines, and drove them back as far as below Beth Car. And you know what Beth Car means? The house of the Lamb. And again, we see Jesus showing up here in the Old Testament because he's saying, I am the ultimate Lamb you can depend on. And I brought victory over death on the cross. I brought victory over fear 
and I am with you the same way God was with me when I faced the the crucifixion and the scourging together. I want to be with you. It's time to show up at the house of the Lamb. This is Ebenezer. Ebenezer is when you say, God, I'm going to worship in this circumstance, even as things get worse, and depend on you to bring victory, for you to thunder in these circumstances. And notice what happens here. So here's what's happened so far. They're here in Mizpah. The Philistines come into attack. God thunders against them as confusion. They're now running this direction. And the Israelites, seeing what God has done, is, are pursuing where God's at work. We're saying, God, you've delivered. We're going to pursue you in your work. And it's here in this circumstance that Samuel takes a stone, a gigantic stone sets it up between Mizpah and Shen and he called its name Ebenezer. What does Ebenezer mean? Thus far the Lord has helped us. Now if you remember from a couple chapters ago Ebenezer was the exact same location that they had one of the worst defeats in their history. The same place they were defeated, the same place it was difficult, the same place it was their biggest weakness is now known as Ebenezer, the place that God helps. What if you and I said, God, this time, this circumstance, I don't like. We're gonna pray as a family. This is our Ebenezer. God, thus far, you have helped us. And I want you to take our moment of weakness and fear and areas we're scared about, I want you to turn them around And the area that we are most scared about becomes the area of our biggest victory because of your work. So the Philistines were subdued. They did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities, and here's that verse we started with, then after they did all three things, made a place, Abinadab, put away the Baals, Ebenezer, They worshiped God as their circumstances got worse. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So if you look at a map of Israel, this whole section here in yellow are where those different cities were that again, Israel said, we're never going to get that back. We're, it just, our new normal is we never get those cities back. But because God thundered, because God provided the victory, not only did they get back to normal, they actually had cities and territory that had been taken from them restored. And that's what I hope God can do for you during this season. That he can become your Beth Car, the house of the Lamb. Your Ebenezer, the place that he can help you during this time. To do that, we need to make a home for God in your heart. What does it look like for you and I to do that? Abinadab means I'm going to draw close to God. God, I'm drawing you close when others are pushing you away. Baal, I'm going to worship you when I fear, not something else to control the chaos in my heart. And Ebenezer, God, my failures, the areas that we most remember failing, are going to be your home. I want you to rest or dwell or be here in the midst of these challenges. I want you to make God at home to make a place for him during this time. In fact, recently I had an opportunity to talk to my friend Morgan. Morgan is someone who grew up Jewish and didn't really go to church. And it was because of an invitation from someone at Horizon 
invited his wife, invited him, that he began to wrestle with some of the bales in his life. The applause of other people, being a well-known name in the, in, the, uh, in the industry he was in, singing. And yet God began to just woo him and draw him through his circumstances. And I'd like you to hear his story of how here at Horizon he found God and made a place for God in his home, in his heart. Let's watch. Well, I've worked as an opera singer for many years. And to many folks, that would seem like a really glamorous life, a life of travel, being on the stage, being in the spotlight. The truth is, I, for many years, have needed that affirmation and have needed that, that confirmation of my self-identity. And I realized that really what was pushing me was this fear of really exploring is this who I want to be? I've been afraid to truly look in the mirror and try to understand who I am. And I think being on stage in a way was therapeutic because I could be someone else and I wouldn't have to look in the mirror. I was really torn up and completely at odds with myself about this. I, I really related to, to the passage in, in James 1 that talks about uh, he who doubts is like a wave tossed by the sea. And I, I told Amy, I'm, I've felt like a, a piece of driftwood just batted to and fro with no real control in my life. And it got to a sort of a fever pitch this fall when I was in Northern California, literally staying in a vineyard. And I drove home and it was a beautiful sunset and the moon is up there in the sky. And meanwhile, I'm just completely in immense pain, wondering why, why can't I just change? Why, why am I continuing to do this to myself and those that I love? I just asked for help and I asked for guidance and I'd never, I'd never really done that before. I'd never sort of gotten off of my own throne to that degree before. When I look back on certain events in my life, the most important events and certainly how Amy and I met, they've been marked by by this uh, phenomenon of, of closing a door so that another could be opened. They've been marked by moments of, in my case, rare courage and, and risk. And whenever I've done that, whenever I've been in a space of true humility and really supplication, asking for help, good things have happened. <laughs> so. So I'm there in Northern California in this vineyard on my knees in the parking lot, ironically in this beautiful place and yet unable to enjoy it and feeling in fact really guilty for being there, not being at home in the current of my life in solidarity with my family. I'm thinking it, it needs to change no matter what happens. It needs to change. I don't know how, but it needs to change. After that trip in California, when he came home, and I remember he just started to cry. You know, the kids were in bed, and, and we were just talking about life, and he said, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. What I heard him to say is that it wasn't so much about the profession. It was about the way he was living his life, and that he didn't want to, as he said, be, be the, the king of the kingdom. Growing, growing up the way that I did, you know, most of my friends were Christian. Most of my friends were celebrating Christmas. As a kid, you usually just sort of focus on, on what you're missing, right? And we were missing Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought in a way that there were these, you know, 
these warm waters over here <laughs> that that we weren't really we were choosing not to not to step into you know and and as i got older and most recently i realized like what i realized was that it's been there all along you know all i needed to do was turn around you know and amy and our kids have really helped me realize that the first time he ever, I think, set foot in a, in a Christian church was here at Horizon. And, and of course, I was saying, like, it's not usually this great. Like, this is really great. You know, this is really, this is really nice. But that first message, you know, the, of course, the concept of grace came up. And this was, I think this was actually the beginning, you know, of his um, conversion process, because this was a new idea. The idea that we understand, despite all we do, we're going we're gonna to come up short. We're going to be mortal, you know, and so we're going to repent and we're going to try again tomorrow. It was actually kind of heartbreaking, because for the first time, I imagined um, a world where you don't know about that, you know, where you feel like all the onus is on you to perform, to be perfect, to be excellent, to see everything, you know, and um, that sounds terrible. I didn't know that I could just decide in a moment that I wanted to go down this path and that I was going to have arms around me. I was going to have someone holding my hand, leading me down that path, you know, that there wasn't going to be any talk about the life I was living before. Or, or talk of regret, or, or doubt, or self-doubt. No, it was going to be this space of possibility, and this space of light, and this space of, of joy and understanding. And when I think about margin, I don't really think about this concept of time. You know, there's this extra stuff over here. I think about the space that you're in mentally, you know, being in, being in a space of peace where you suddenly can reach understanding and you can understand things better, you know, and you're not in a space of self-judgment or criticism. You're in that, you're in that space of grace that, that Amy refers to. And I think I'm starting to understand that a little bit. Wasn't that powerful? One of the amazing things at Horizon is that we're getting the opportunity to serve people and see people come to find God and make God a home in their heart. In fact, because our worship team can't be here on stage, we decide we're gonna put the music at the end of the messages each week. So I hope as you are worshiping God, just like in Ebenezer, people were crying out to God and worshiping, I hope these next songs will help you turn your attention, turn your heart toward God during this time. And let us know how we as a church can serve you and help you as you face challenges in your life as well. And again, use the app, hope that'll help you. And let me pray and ask God to be with us all during this time. Father, we as a church invite you to find a home right here in this app and on this website in each family. Father, you are Ebenezer and we are depending on you in these times to help us to restore the territory, to restore the cities, and restore the areas that fear has taken from us, that lack of sleep has taken from us, that chaos has taken from us. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.